Good morning. You know, it's always good to go back somewhere that you've been before and preach. It's hard sometimes to preach somewhere that you've never preached. Uh, Robert Schuler said that he and his wife had a deal set up where she would go and sit about halfway back on the aisle, up the center row of whatever church they were at, and if his speaking, if 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 his speaking was too soft, she would put her hand up behind her ear like this. And if he was too loud, she would stick her finger in her ear. He said, and if he was too long, she would do like this. <laughs> so if you see my wife doing it like this, you'll know what that means. But I promised, Pastor, that I would be done by at least 2.30 today. So you, Carl, you have plenty of time. If you will, turn with me in your Bible to Isaiah 55. I hear demons talking. <laughs> Isaiah 55, we're going to look at verse 8, 8 to 12. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. Anybody ever say that to your children? Yeah, they come in complaining, Dad, Mom says we've got to do such and such. Well, then you better do it. Yeah, but I don't want it. Yeah, but her ways are not your ways. And her ways come with a wooden spoon. So they acquiesce. Amen? For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours. You just want to stop in this and go, duh. I mean, this is God speaking. He said, look, this, I don't operate like you people do. It's amazing to me that God made us, and yet sometimes we're not anything like God. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return uh, without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. There are two purposes for the seed. One is to die that it might live again, if you will, that it might grow another stalk, some more wheat. And the other is to serve. One seed dies, another seed serves. So it's my word that goes out from my mouth, he says, I'll not return empty. It will not return empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. In other words, God's saying here, what I want to happen is about to happen. Well, God, I don't like that. He's not interested with what we like. He's interested in our obedience. There are so many corollaries between children and parents and God and us. The reason for that is we are the children of God. And sometimes we just do goofy things. You don't have to be young to do stupid stuff. Come on now. Don't tell my children I said that. 
But I do plenty of stupid stuff, Greg, all by myself. I don't need any help. I've got it down. There's a perfection level there. But God's desire is that we do what he says for us to do. Amen? Little kid, three or four years old, running around the kitchen. His mother says, don't touch that stove. Okay, mommy. Thirty seconds later, he's screaming because he touched the stove. Yeah, we do the same thing with God. We go get in a mess. Look at the children of Israel. I mean, those, I'm sorry, but sometimes those folks just weren't real bright. They cry out to God and God delivers them. Hallelujah, they go serve God. Then what happens? They go right back into the same old stupid stuff they were doing before. And they can't understand why they're in trouble. Hello? We're in trouble because we don't do what God says do. You will go out and joy and be led forth in peace. And the mountains and the hills will burst into song before you. And all the trees of the field will what? Clap their hands. Remember that song? Trees of the field will clap their hands. I should have asked Karen to do that. She's my favorite worship leader, by the way. (laughs) The title of the message, if you're taking notes, is the absurdity of the gospel. The absurdity of the gospel. The gospel is an eternal paradox. It seems to be one thing, but it's another. The thesaurus defines paradox as an inconsistency, an absurdity, an irony, a contradiction, impossibility, illogicality. All those words sound like God words to me. We had a friend whose wife was dying. And we prayed for her. And you know what happened? Not a thing. And she got worse. And finally, and we just continued to pray for her. And finally, the doctor said, we can't do anything else. This woman is going to die. We're done. All we can do is try and ease her pain. That very night, God healed her. I told my wife, I said, you know, all it took was for the doctor to say it couldn't be done for God to do it. That's where God operates. God doesn't operate in the things we can do. He expects us to do certain things on our own. I have a little grandson who's, I don't know, two or three years old. I call him Scooter. That's not his name, but I'm his grandpa. I call him what I want to. But he gets, he comes in the house and opens the door, and man, he just scoots around from one room to the other. You know what he's doing? He's looking for me. He's looking for me. And sometimes, in the excitement of us playing, he forgets that he's potty trained. My, my daughter-in-law called us one day and she said, I don't know what to do. Do I need to stay still? Okay. She said, I don't know what to do. I said, what do you mean you don't know what to do? She said, well, 
there's poop on his fire engine. See, he's two years old. He doesn't know any better. He's, he's operating at the level that we expect him to operate at. But sometimes with us, when we deal with God and what God tells us to do, we're operating at a level of infancy, and God wants us to, to operate from a level of maturity. And so we go and we speak and we preach and we cry out and we prophesy. And nothing happens. Why? Because God expects us to do something other than stand there and look what he does and go, whoa, dude, look at that. God often, I would say most of the time, moves in ways that we neither imagine or understand. I don't know how God does stuff. I don't know why God does stuff. We got a call one night. It was 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. And it was from a young lady who lived in New Orleans. And she had gotten word from her doctor that she was had a brain tumor. Or not a brain tumor, but a tumor down here in the size of a football. And immediately the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, that's a lie. Now, this young woman doesn't know a whole lot about faith. She doesn't go to church where we go to church. She's a different group, a different denomination. But God spoke and God said, that's a lie. And so I told my wife, I said, give me the phone. And she gave me the phone and I said, listen, I know you may not understand this, but God just told me you do not have that problem. I went back to sleep. The next day was her surgery. Now, if she had been a woman of faith like my wife is, I probably would have said to her, you know, let's hold up on a surgery. In fact, I did say to her, you know, why don't you go have the doctors go take a picture again? But she didn't. She got there. The doctors didn't want to take pictures. They wanted to cut her open. Next day, we get a phone call. Something very strange is going on. The doctors can't explain it. Chris said, what? She said, there's no tumor. The day before it was the size of a football. Today, it's not there. That is a paradox. Reality was, it was a tumor. The truth was, it was gone. See, we don't need, we need to operate. People say, man, just come back and, just get, come back in the world. What is wrong with you? What is wrong with me is, I've been touched by the Spirit of God. The hand of God has reached out from time to time and just grabbed hold of me and said, Son, you think what you've seen is cool? Watch this. I wish I had an hour to just stand here and tell you about all the miraculous healings we've seen through the years in our own family and in other people's family. I've seen God heal people who didn't, who didn't understand what was going on? Why? To glorify Him. And that's, that's the, the paradox. God 
chooses who he wants to use. Amen? Why does God choose who he chooses? Because so many times who God chooses is just illogical. Um, uh, look at like Moses. You know, Moses couldn't speak well. He said to God, now here he is standing before God Almighty, and he says to God, let me introduce you to my brother. That boy can preach. God knew who God wanted. The paradox there was that Aaron was the better choice. That Moses was tongue-tied. That he stuttered. That he had a problem communicating. And yet God said, this is the one I want to use. When God told Samuel, go get me another king. Samuel went to the house of Jesse, and Jesse had a bunk load of boys, man. And so he brought all his boys, and he ran them by the prophet, one right after the other. And they were tall, good-looking, muscular guys, like Fred and me. you know. Yeah. They were good-looking. I mean, they were all on the captains of the football team. They played all four sports plus golf. These guys had it going on. And yet, after they had all run by the prophet, the prophet looked at Jesse and he said, Who are you holding back? None of these are what God said, and God said it'd be here. Well, I do have one more son. He, he delivers food. He goes out and spends the night, you know, laying out on the ground watching the sheep. I don't know the boy could be king, though. I mean, he's not real tall. He's kind of average. He's ruddy. Now, there's a good word to go look up. Ruddy. And yet, that's who God chose, and David came on the scene and became the great King David. It was a paradox. We can go on and on through the Bible. My favorite is Mary's husband, Joseph. What happened to Joseph? How did that deal work? I mean, God went to Joseph and said, don't put Mary away, don't get rid of her, don't put her over here in this home out in another country. What's going on in her is me. And Joseph, the Bible says, just took him at his word. I th- I'm going to tell you what. If somebody came to me and said that, I think I'd probably, uh, I wouldn't have as much faith. And yet, this, this incredible man of God, this man who was the protector of the Messiah for at least 13 years, who provided for him every day, who provided meat, who provided drink, who provided the knowledge to him that he needed about Father God, was this man Joseph. And yet we see that at a particular time in the telling of the Gospels, you never ever hear of Joseph again. He was done. He came and did what he needed to do. 
Well, what happened to Joseph? Let me let me tell you what happened to Joseph. You ready? I don't know. We don't know what happened to Joseph. We can surmise. We can all sit around the cemetery out of the seminary and get in a circle with other theologians. If you went where I went, you'd call it a cemetery too. And have these great discussions about what happened with with Joseph. But the truth of the matter is we don't know. But we do know one thing. God blessed Joseph greatly because he gave him, watch this, he gave him authority over the Christ. Man, Joseph had to be a guy. I mean, he had to be something special. A paradox. Why did he choose him? Why didn't he choose somebody famous? Why didn't he choose a king? Listen, I believe there are people who are sitting in this room today that are ready to be used as God's eternal paradox person. Listen, don't run from the from the call that God put on your life. Don't run from it. Don't hide from it. I tried that. I stepped right out into stupid. For seven years I ran from God. Now how dumb do you have to be to run from somebody who's everywhere? See, you only thought I was smart. I wasn't. But for seven years I did not stand behind a pulpit because I was angry with God. And then a friend of mine said, I've been praying and I want you to preach next Sunday. I said, I won't do it. I won't do it. I've been seven years to the month without standing behind a pulpit. I'm not going to start back now. I'm done. Or so I said. But the paradox is that whether I wanted it or not, it was what God wanted. And I finally got bright enough to understand that if God wants it, I should want it too. Amen? So don't run from what God's called you to do. Don't let anyone steal your call. It is not up to your mama what your call from God is. It is not up to your father what your call from God is. That is a matter that is between you and God Almighty. If God says do it, let me save you a lot of heartbreak from an old foolish guy who has done every dumb thing he can think of. Just do what God wants you to do. Life is so, isn't life easier when we do what God says do? So don't let anybody steal your call. If God says do it, bless God, do it. God's ways and works are unsearchable. Uh, guys, can you give me Job 5.9? Talking about God, which doeth great things and unsearchable, marvelous things without number. Without number. Number one in this eternal paradox or this absurdity of the gospel is a willingness to part with our earthly security brings eternal security. How many people, guys, that... that have you known down through the years, especially guys who used to be pastors, how many people have you known down through the years who came in to follow God and do what God said and six months later they were nowhere to be found? 
They were nowhere to be found. You see, God works in such unsearchable ways that we cannot under, we can't understand them. We we can sort of get it, you know. We can sort of get it, but we'll never know all the mind of God. There is a willingness for us to part with eternal security, and it brings eternal security. Uh, Luke chapter 12, verse 32. Guys, if you can help me. You see, it's a heart thing. It's not a mind. Serving God is not a mind thing. Because if you leave it to your mind, your mind will say, this is a waste of time. It's a waste of time. My father on his deathbed looked up at me and said, Son, I love you, but I do not understand this thing with you in preaching. On his deathbed, he said, I I don't understand it. It's a heart thing. Jesus said, Fear not, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Notice he didn't say work for the kingdom. He said it's his pleasure to give you the kingdom. We have three grown sons. They're all taller than me. They're all better looking than me, so I figure they got that from their mama. And yet, when they were teenagers, you know, those those people, teenagers, you know, pray for Brother Allen today, would you, poor guy. When they were teenagers, the first thing they wanted to do when they got home was what? Raid the freezer, the refrigerator. You ever meet a teenage boy who wasn't hungry? Me either. And so they would go in and get what they want and take it to the kitchen and nuke it or fry it or whatever they had to do with it and get them something to eat. You know, not once did they ever ask me if they could have that food. Never once. Watch this. Why? Because they knew their father's heart. They knew their father's heart. It's a heart thing. We do it because it's in our heart, not because it makes sense. Amen? Number two, self-sacrifice brings riches and blessings from God. If you go to Matthew 19, and uh, let's see, uh, verse, verse 28 and 29. Matthew 19, verse 28. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth that the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you will have followed me, will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses and brothers and sisters or fathers or mothers or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much as will inherit eternal life a hundred times as much he said look I know you think you've given all this stuff but don't worry about it because what you gave is not going to it's going to be unfathomable based on what you get so you give me a little today 
And when the time comes for your reward, it's a reward that just it just boggles our mind. What suffering we have to endure on this earth is a short season in the fabric of eternity. Just think about that. There's a there's a program that's on. Uh, I think it's on History Channel. No, it's on the Travel Channel, and it's this guy who who travels all over the world tracking down mysteries and lost gold and, you know, all, all that kind of stuff. Maybe you've seen it. And the guy just, when he goes on one of these these jaunts, before he goes, he's convinced that there's something there. He's convinced that there's something there. Now, most of the time, there's not anything there. But sometimes there is. But he's willing to give what he's got to get what he can't have on his own. The insults we suffer here on earth, and you will suffer insults if you're a Christian. They'll be counted as reward when we get to heaven. When we get to heaven. I was counseling a young man just the other day, and I said, look, stop being angry. Well, yeah, I know you're not supposed to be angry, but you don't know what those people have done to me. Stop being angry. Yeah, but you don't understand how it's affected my life, how it's affected my psyche, my mind, how it's affected everything about my life. Yeah, I do. Stop it. Stop it. Because until you lose that anger or that greed or the contemptuousness or whatever it is, that we hide deep down in our bucket of secrets. Until you let go of that thing, you will never see what God has for you. And if we never see it, we can never receive it wholly. That's a good place for an amen right there. Number four. Humility leads to honor. Boy, it doesn't make any sense, does it? It doesn't make any sense. If you look on TV, man, you can just thumb right through. We got cable, so we got about 12,000 channels, you know. And you can just thumb right through and go, huh, no, no humility there. No, no humility there. No, no humility there. And you don't see it. Why? Because they think that their reward has something to do with who they are on this earth. See, and our reward doesn't have anything to do with what we've done. It has to do with who we are. Our daddy is the king. Our daddy is the king. When my teenage boys would come in and start raiding the refrigerator and the freezer, not once did they ever say, Daddy, do you mind can I have a eight corn dogs? 32 taquitos, four cardboard pizzas. I mean, they were teenagers, man. We spent $1,200 a month on food at Costco. And people wonder, you know. But there's no humility in the world. Remember at one time Jesus was having supper with his disciples. 
and after supper, he went over and, and he got a bowl and put some water in it and he got a towel and put it over his shoulder and went and sat down in front of Peter and was about to wash the dirt off Peter's feet. And Peter threw a fit. Peter threw a fit. He said, Lord, you can't do this. I need to be doing this for you, not you do this for me. After all, you're the man. Jesus said, Peter, if you don't let me do this, you don't understand me, and you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Man, he's talking about apostle number uno. This guy, Peter, his ministry takes up the first 12 chapters of the book of Acts. And yet he says to him, if you don't let me serve you, you have no idea what I'm talking about. And Peter said, all right, Lord, listen, but instead of just my feet, why don't you just go ahead and wash my whole body? He wanted whatever he had. He didn't want part of God. He wanted all of God. See, young people, the thing that we want in life is, as young people is we want to be recognized. We want to be loved. We want to be appreciated. And I understand all that. But what we ought to want is we ought to want what God wants. We ought to want what God wants. Because if you don't, then you're going to get in trouble. And we don't want to be in trouble with God. Amen? Humility leads to honor. Maturity in Christ is coming to understand that it's not about me. It's not about me. I always joke about that song, you know, and people want to say, I tell my wife, I think they're singing that song, it's all about me, Lord. That may not be terribly funny, but that's reality. That's reality. So humility leads to honor. What kind of honor? Honor and esteem from God. Jesus said, (coughs) excuse me, that in order to receive life, we had to lay down our life, which is what he did. Isaiah said in Isaiah 66, 2, God esteems the humble. God esteems the humble. I don't know how many times in my young preacher life I spent walking around, Lord, man, I look good, don't I? Lord, how'd you like that sermon? That's pretty hot stuff, wasn't it? I had I had a, 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 a prayer, a poem, three points, and a joke. God, I nailed it, didn't I? But there's no humility there. And and the, I tell people, all you have to do to learn what humility is is get old. Come on, somebody. You know, I go and I look and I think, that's not me, that's my father. I told Chris not long ago, I was going, she's got this big mirror in her, we have separate bathrooms and she has this big giant mirror in her bathroom and I just kind of walked through and kept walking and I stopped and I turned around and I said sweetheart I just saw my dad what I saw was me I saw me but I thought I I looked so much like that old man that I thought 
it was him and wasn't me. Listen, we have to lower ourselves in esteem to receive what God has for us. You're never as good as your press says you are. And you're never as handsome as your wife tells people in public that you are. Don't you get tired of these preachers sometimes? They can, every time you introduce a preacher, they always have to get up and tell you how wonderful and how good looking their wives are. Huh? Isn't that the truth? Why? Because they're proud of that. But the reality is, what's important in our wives is what's on the inside. What's on the inside. Listen, I'd be a messed up mess always and forever if God hadn't given me that blonde. Now, she doesn't always treat me nice, Greg. (laughs) But somehow it always works out to me to get to where I should have been bright enough to figure out how to get there in the first place. Amen? So there's humility there. Number five, from death springs life. In John chapter 12, verse 24, it says this. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls on the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it. While the man who hates his life, by the way, that word there translated life, is the uh, Greek word for soul. Read it that way, it really makes sense. And who hates his, his soul in this world will keep it. For it is for eternal life. Whosoever serves me must first follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. Remember the rich young man who came to Jesus and, and, and he was a good Jew and he'd done, uh, Jesus, he said, what do I have to do to enter the kingdom? What, what do I have to do? And Jesus said to him, sell everything you've got and come and follow me. Sell everything you've got and come and follow me. Why? Why? We wouldn't do that today. Not good preachers, Carl. Man, we'd be saying, listen, write me a check for all that you have and then I will make you a director on my board in my ministry. But Jesus said, just go get rid of it. It just, it doesn't mean a thing. And come and follow me. Come and follow me. That's what's important is that we come and do what God wants us to do. And that's not easy. It's not easy at 16. It's not easy at 65. Only at 65 we've gotten to a point where we hide it better and we look good. When what we ought to do is we ought to be on our knees in our closet crying out to God saying, God, use me. You know, you get too old sometimes to be used. I found this, 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 how are we doing? We're okay. I was talking to a church about, they, they had a, their pastor was going to retire and they needed a new pastor. 
nice church. I knew a couple of the people that went to the church. I knew the apostolic covering for the church. It was a beautiful church right across the street from the beautiful beach in Hawaii. And I'm thinking, this could be God. And so I talked a couple times with the pastor and his wife, and um, the second or third time I talked to him, she said, well, you know, we really just are looking for a younger man. I'm thinking, woman, you've missed God. But we get to a point to where if you look at it like the world looks at it, we hadn't got a lot to offer. But if you look at it like God looks at it, we've always got something to offer. Amen? An eternal paradox. In First First Corinthians one twenty six, and I'm going to read this and we're going to pray a little bit. First Corinthians. What page is that on, Greg? Huh? One. Oh, let's see. First Corinthians one verse twenty six. Okay. Brother, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. That's what we preachers are. We are foolish things of this world that God uses to confuse the wise of this world. But God chose the foolish. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things. Anybody ever felt despised? And the things that are not to nullify the things that are. So that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God that is our righteousness, our holiness, and our redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast of the Lord. The Christian life is a paradoxical life. It's, it's, if you just look at it with carnal eyes, it doesn't make any sense at all. I mean, what sense does it make? With carnal eyes, I might as well just go to the bar. The same, same, close to the same deal. You got music, you got loud talking, you got money exchanging hands, you got music. What's the difference? The difference is the Holy Spirit. The difference is God. We're here because God put us here. You're here because God put you here. You're here this morning to hear this old country preacher. Because God wants you here. Because God has a plan for you. There are plans that you have that you've tried and they didn't work. And you said, all right, I'm just going to give up and go back to doing whatever it is I used to do. Don't do that. That's the devil. That's the devil. Man, the devil's called me a fool a lot. God never called me that. God calls me son. God calls me the redeemed of the Lord. 
Who has man that thou art mindful of him? I want to just bow your head and close your eyes for a minute. We're just going to have a little ministry time. Prayer team, if you want to come up and help us. Wife, I'm preaching. You can come help. Nobody looking around, eyes closed. Just ask yourself this question. Am I where God wants me to be? Am I on the way to where God wants me to be? Or am I faking it? Am I hiding it? Am I afraid to ask for help? Listen, if you need help, this is the place right now. I don't know much, but I know one thing. If we will step toward God, He will run toward us. What is that thing? What is that stumbling block? What is that fence that is holding us back from being what God wants us to be? Is it pride? Is it shame? You know, some people in church are ashamed to go forward and get prayer because they think, well, if I go get prayer, people think there's something wrong with me. That doesn't make any sense. I go get prayer so something doesn't go wrong. Amen? So whatever your issue is today, I want to tell you, you can lose that issue right now. Right now. Would you just write, every head's bowed, every eye's closed, nobody's looking around, it's me and you and Jesus. Are you one of those people that say, you know what? There's some things in my life I really need to get straight. And today would be a good day to do it. Would you just, yes, yes, ma'am, yes, sir, yes, ma'am. Come on, come on, get prayed for. You raised your hand, come get prayed for. Come on. That's what these folks are here for. It's what they train for is to minister to you. Young people, that goes for you too. Even old people can pray for you. Amen, Carl. What is it that's holding you back? What is that thing that you don't want to share with your wife, with your children, with your husband, whatever it is. That thing that you hide so deep that you just know it's going to kill you. But here is the truth. Jesus can fix it and fix it right now. There's no need to be constrained because, you, you, you know, you're concerned what people think. Listen, God doesn't care what people think. Why should you? Now's the time. Now's the time. Come right now. Right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We got time. One of these prayer warriors are not in a hurry. some help there we go yeah today is a good day to become a new person in Christ
we got plenty of time. up she doesn't have her hearing aid just pray for somebody who's made this decision this morning who's made this trek down to the front just reach your hands out to them just pray for them that they totally surrender to the heart of God, to the mind of God. Oh, how He loves us. Yes, He loves us. Don't, don't miss your time. We're not in any hurry, are we? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. God. Somebody shout. Hallelujah. Last chance. Last chance. Is today your day? Is today the day you'll look back and say, you know what? That day I got my act together. Amen. Just continue to pray, Christians. Continue to pray. time for you. Ushers, would you open the back doors, please? And if you if you have to leave, go ahead. If you don't have to, just hang around and pray for a while for these people. Maybe you need to come forward and get prayed for. Maybe you just want somebody to rejoice with you. 
whatever it is, we're, we're just going to take time to love on you. Because that's what Jesus would do.